0: Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Shaw. And today I'm lucky enough to be joined by Jackson Frank, who is a writer for Dime. Jackson did a profile on Quentin Grimes, where he got to talk to Quentin, got to talk to people around him. Um, So we dive into what the writing process was like and how Quentin became the player he is today. All that and more right now on Locked On Knicks.
1: You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starks, with a five, Ewing for the left, yes! Thompson, huts left, now fires it, and he's good, and he's fouled! He's fouled, and
0: he's fouled! Anthony for three! You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I want to take you to Locked on Knicks, your first listen today and every day and remind you that today's episode is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code Locked On NBA for $20 off your first purchase. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Uh, but who's talking to you? I'm Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. And uh, yeah, uh, I'm really excited to get into it with Jackson. This is going to be a two-part episode, so... Check this one out. Um, And then in part two, we will uh, finish up talking about Quinn Grimes and come back and do a little Knicks-Cavs preview. So all that and more right now on Locked on Knicks. All right, guys, as promised, we are joined by the fantastic Jackson Frank, a writer for Dime, um, who put together an incredible piece on Quentin Grimes titled In Control. Quentin Grimes is writing his own story with the Knicks. Uh, I read it, Jackson, as, as I told you um, over Twitter, but uh, I'm happy to tell you in person I loved it. It was it was so cool to get an insight into someone who I think is, is probably like one of the more – unknowable guys on the team is generally like pretty stoic. Like you know, things can be good. Things can be bad. The expression doesn't really change. And there's like <laughs> a real insight, like one and two is development and what, what makes him such a, such a tips favorite. And, and I mean, a guy who was always like described as having a ruthless work ethic, but to get the specifics of it was really cool, but also to learn more about him as a person. So thank you for bringing that to me. Thank you for bringing that to Knicks fans everywhere.
1: Yeah. And that was, I think that was the, the really cool part is just, as I worked on that story, people telling me all these parts, you know, about his personality because I I really enjoyed watching Quentin and I still do because of his on court game. I didn't know anything about, you know, him as a person. Um, so it was it was cool that people are so willing to share that and that I could in turn share it with with fans of or people who learned about him for the first time. So I appreciate the kind words and I'm glad that the goal was to get people to know more about him off the court. And that seems to be accomplished, at least uh, from your perspective. So great yeah. to hear. Yeah, I'm going to take it for what it's worth. Um,
0: but um, I, I was kind of curious. I mean, I guess you just kind of hinted at it, but what inspired you to write about him initially? Because obviously someone I, I think in in Knicks circles is very beloved, but I would I would presume from a league-wide perspective, like doesn't necessarily have that recognition yet, doesn't necessarily have a wide frame of appreciation. So as someone who covers the sport nationally, like what made you zoom in on him?
1: Yeah, so I mean, just initially, you know, when he, obviously he was a pretty big part of the Knicks yeah, I would say kind of in-season turnaround once he found his footing, once he came back from injury and was inserted in the starting lineup. And I just wanted to do a story on that. And, you know, somehow I got, you know, at Dime we had, you know, connections to you know people in his agency and I wanted to do something on that. But then it just grew from there. Um, and our, our goal at Dime with, with these cover stories is to kind of highlight those players that are a little less – um, renowned, you know, we've done, we did our one previous one was on Matherin uh, before that was Grant Williams. So guys that you kind of know if you follow the league, but maybe you're not int- entirely aware of kind of what they're like off the court and things like that. Um, Grimes was an especially interesting one because he, he is quite renowned in, in youth circles and in high schools, or I guess in college circles because he started at Houston and because he had, you know, the one year at Kansas didn't, didn't go according to plan. Um, so it was, it was a good challenge to write about and feature someone Maybe had that had part of their story told to this point, but not through to the MBA MBA part. So um, that that was cool, and it's that was again the goal for us with, with these cover stories is to shine a light on some of these guys that are um, you know making waves on the court, but maybe we don't know a lot about them off the court. So um, yeah, the, yeah. So it just started out wanting something about his on on the court impact, and you know talk with him, and then uh, it got to be something much more much more than that. Um, and I'm I'm grateful that you know it got to that point. Um, but that we're still able to shine a light on what he's doing with the Knicks this year and how he's been integral to to what they're doing on both ends as they you know prepare uh, for the playoffs now. And and you emphasize in the
0: story that that he is a guy who has a close circle and like if if you're in that circle like he trusts you he loves you will go to the ends of the earth for you. Um, and and I guess like when when talking to someone. Um, like that and who has his inclination what was um his, his, dog, his dog apparently very enthused <laughs> yeah, <laughs> drawing, yeah she,
1: she's playing um,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> um wh- I mean, what was how how do you kind of like just as a writer like how do you kind of break through that initial wall and like kind of get through with a guy like that and, and get all the insights you got in the story
1: yeah it, it made it easy because i talked with quite a few people who were close with him before i ever spoke with him so i had a lot of kind of guiding points and things I could talk with him about. Um, obviously we talked basketball, but I had a lot of other stuff that I came armed with because of what, you know, the, the time and information that people are gracious enough to give me beforehand. Um, and so we, we, like I said, I, I, I worked closely with, with other people and they, you know, that knew, that know him well. And and they gave me kind of things to, you know, that maybe be interesting to discuss with him. And so it made like, I think the first 20 minutes of our conversation You know, at least we didn't talk, you know, we talked about food, fashion, shoes. Um, sometimes I didn't even get to mention in the article. Um, is he's randomly, like a couple years ago, learned how to play the piano, just like sat down one day and played it. And he, he learned how to juggle. Uh, he during like the height of uh, COVID, he was quarantined with, with his mom and they would play tennis. And he, all of a sudden, he just learned he could juggle. So, a lot of it was just stuff like that, being able to talk about off-court stuff because you know he's talked a lot, I'm sure, about his on court experiences and we'll continue to. So, um, just kind of making clear that I was interested interested in more than that made it easy. And he was a super great interview the entire way. I didn't feel like there was any sort of disconnect between us, really easygoing guy, um, super easy to have conversation with. And that was another thing that like people kept stressing that are around him is like he's a real person. And that's not to, you know, disparage you know other athletes, but um, just how thoughtful he is and how willing he is to have a conversation with regardless you know whoever it is regardless of the background and and status so that that made it easier for you know like i said I, I was grateful to be able to tell the story but it made it easier with really easy with him and everyone around him that wanted to share the story with me and to let me present it um and kind of construct it in the way that i that i thought fit
0: yeah and I, I guess to clarify even what i was asking like it's nothing really about Quentin like when you hit that level of fame like you' you're kind of told by everyone around you like hey be cautious be careful who you talk to because it can it can be spun a certain way it can be taken a certain way and sometimes like stuff like far from being misconstrued like can can be just like taken entirely out of context and like and and you're not really getting across what you want to get across by yourself so it's both it's a credit to you but also like a credit to him that like he like these are the kind of stories that like, you got much more frequently like 20 30 40 years ago and now like it's it's hard to get to that kind of depth and i think that's what i really enjoyed about it i'm kind of curious how you would describe the role um his parents and and just based on the story like particularly his dad played in his development because they there just seems like there's a rare self-awareness with him about his game that like when i think about like the guys who like I, I know you're someone who has like some interest in the draft and like prospects and like I'm like far from being an expert on that but I, I'm always interested to kind of go back and say like all right who made it who didn't make it why did they make it why didn't they make it and a lot of times I think like obviously capacity and like athleticism like all play a significant role and if you, if you don't have certain like physical skills it's not going to matter but it always does kind of circle back to self-awareness and saying like, all right, like we're talking about a guy who was a five-star guard in high school, like top 10 player, like one of the highest ranked point guards, combo guards, depending on the service in the country. And he's going to the university of Houston and after transferring from Kansas. And you're talking about like, yeah, he was focused on screen navigation. He was focused on rebounding. He was focused on having elite conditioning. And like, to me, that circles back um, again, based on the story, like to stuff that his parents kind of instilled in him. All right, guys, it's about that time. Let's, uh, let's, let's talk about game time. Um, I know that I'm kind of stressing out about how to get into a Knicks playoff game because I know I want to go, I want to watch in person. It just, it just doesn't happen so often. Um, but how do I find a, a great price at the last second? Well, there's a new solution for that. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you'll have with game time. GameTime is the place for last-minute tickets. Forget planning months in advance. GameTime has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. The GameTime guarantee means you'll always have the best price if you find tickets in the same sections and row for less. GameTime will credit you 110% on the difference. It's the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. And the brilliance is, unlike some other apps, you can buy tickets in a matter of seconds. Two taps and you're set. Tickets are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through your email. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONMBA for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and re- redeem code LOCKEDONMBA for $20 off your first purchase. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed.
1: Yeah, well, I think really that turning point I mean, maybe I you know maybe I didn't necessarily frame it as well as I, I should have but that turning point for him really came when he got to Houston yeah. Um he he conceded that in Kansas a lot of times like he knew coming into his freshman year you know he was projected lottery pick and he had been a really good scorer shooter offensive player you know throughout his high school career and so a lot of his thoughts constantly worried about how he was shooting how he was scoring things like that um, because that they'd always been there for him right like you don't you don't really think about that being a problem if it's, if it's something that's always come naturally to your game or always been part of your game. And so when he got to Houston, he was, you know, shooting okay from three and startling from the field overall, or excuse me, at Kansas. Um, He didn't quite know how to find other ways to to impact the game. Um, And at at Houston, you know, that's a team that's constantly on the top of defensive efficiency every year under Kelvin Sampson. They really hammer home rebounding. Um, And that took a little bit of time for, for Quentin to adapt to. And, and they, um, and when he started with that, they had him run a lot of sprints. Um, and I don't know if that's his, that's the one thing I, I wanted to talk more with him about, but like the conditioning obviously is like, it feels like he's always go, go, go. Yeah. Um, like the first close out that he attacks in a game is the, the same speed that he attacks it and can be triple overtime something like that. Hmm. Um, so I think that's definitely something that helped there. Um, but he just figured out ways that like, like he just talked about coach Samson really instilling in like, yeah, you can go two for 10, um, but you could, you could pick up the guy full court their best score you get six rebounds from the guard position you can get a couple of steals um and I think maybe as fans or just as analysts we think that's something that kind of I don't know comes naturally but we just assume that you you realize that maybe it sounds cliche but I think it, it was really fascinating to hear from Quentin firsthand that like it took time for him to get there um because I was doing prep work too for this article and I, because I didn't want to just. Hit the same notes that everyone else had played when they'd done profiles of Quentin or mm-hmm. or Charles. I mean, it was fascinating to hear kind of just how advanced and vast his offensive allure or skill set was coming into Kansas playing in high school. Um, because I, I didn't watch him there. You know, I watched a little bit. He was my first real, you know, deep introduction. Wasn't to last year's rookie. So and you know, I, you know, he was a three and D guy, right? And he's become more than that this year with you know his passing and his ability to get to the rim, you know, off the catch. But. Um, it was just fascinating to kind of hear that because you know I I was I first really enjoyed his game because of the defense. So to hear that like that took a while for him to understand and embrace was was really interesting. So um, yeah, but his parents, um, I think they both did a really good job. Like the problem solving part, I think is fascinating. Like his mom was really good about instilling that in him, and I think that's a a broad theme of of just kind of his life to this point. Be also seen on the court where like he's so good at kind of making quick decisions and kind of just adapting on the fly to where the defense is giving him. Um, but then, yeah, it, I think his dad the same way was like, Hey, like, if you want to get to this point, you know, if you want to get to a certain level, you're going to have to work really, really hard. We're not going to force you to get there, but um, you know, I'm going to give you the resources you know, that allow you to get there if you're interested in it. So um, yeah, they, they were great talking with me and, and Quentin was obviously very complimentary of them, but, um yeah the, the whole thing is it's just a team effort whether it's the parents it's you know people around him it's the coaches of the different places he's been but um yeah it seems like maybe on the on you know i'm sure they played a role in each side i don't want to you know misallocate things but the problem solving came maybe more from his mom maybe the work ethic and some of the specific training habits came more from his tab but i don't want to over emphasize that all this i'm sure you know they, they played a hand in all of that together so um but, yeah, well, I guess it, it seemed like very much a group effort. Maybe that that understanding of kind of the little things really went off. The light bulb really went off at Houston when he was having to run a lot and, and whatnot and adapt to a, a different um, style of, of program because obviously Candace and Houston are well accomplished, especially over the last, you know, six, seven, eight years. Um, Kansas has the deeper history, um, but two really good programs. It was fascinating to kind of hear of the, reg- the adjustment that it took um, going from one esteemed program to the next. Just in terms of, um, I guess, what I was trying to get at earlier, in terms of his
0: self awareness, um, you, you talked about him raising his release when he was younger, and, and this was something we we also talked about. With, uh, Scott Chasen when he came on the podcast over summer, guy who covered him at uh, Kansas, and his dad kind of looked and said, like, "Hey, if you really want to make it on high level, like you're not you're not looking like you're gonna be like six eight, six nine. Like he, he ended up being six foot five. Like the what could really separate you, and and we we we've seen it particularly the last 10, 12 games or so is, um, is a high release. And, and he kind of fired back Quinn fired back and he's like, Hey, Steph Curry doesn't have a high release and you know, when you're, when you're playing in, in middle school and you're probably scoring 40 points a game. You get to say that because you're the Steph Curry of middle school, right? <laughs> he's, he's probably bombing 30 footers. And he's like, are you kidding me? Like, like, like no one's stopping this. And like his dad had the foresight to say like, yeah, not now, but like maybe in college and definitely in the NBA, like there are going to be shots you can't get off if your release isn't over your head. And, To me, like, that just seems like such a, like, clear-cut point of, like, oh, okay, like, what works now won't work later. And, like, I guess to to circle back to what I was saying before, like, when I look at the guys who don't make it and the guys who do, like, I think a lot of times when guys don't make it, it's because they think the stuff that's always worked is still going to work in the NBA – or maybe even more so like not even that it'll work or not work that they'll get the chance to play that way in the NBA when only like two or three guys on every team do. And it's generally not going to be you at the start of your career if you're not a top five pick going to a lottery team. So that really flashed. And then the fact that um, his parents like let him quit AAU when he wanted some time off. And, um and like, we, we all like, See like stuff with load management now. Baxter Holmes VSPN put together like this great story about like how a lot of like the roots of that take place in AAU culture and how you've guys come into the league and are already sort of broken um physically. Um, so maybe from a physical perspective that helped him, but just mentally, like what stands out to me, and this is kind of what you were just alluding to, was like at a very young age, they kind of like, all right, like you are going to get to where you want. Like, we're not gonna drive you there, we're not gonna force you there. If you wanna be this good, you can. And it seems to have like develop this thing in his head that it's like, all right, like I actually do want that. And like, in turn, like all the work that he's put in to get to this point probably isn't like work to him. It's just what he wants to be doing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the release point story was, was fascinating. It was really cool to hear his his dad share that. Um, and they, they were, they were great about sharing anecdotes in general, kind of just development about him, you know, from a young age, you know, whether it was on the court or just, you know, as, as a person, but, uh, yeah, and I, I think you know, I think what stands out to Qu- in Quinton's game a lot is like, there's not really a, a spot up three he won't take, like that he's not confident to take because he knows that nobody's going to block it. I mean, unless like you know an Evan Mobley or a Jaron Jackson or a Giannis closes out on him maybe. But like the guys that are guarding particularly closing out, he's not he's not bashful at all. Um, and I think that like that's that's a key part of his game. But also, as you mentioned, like the willingness. From both him and his father to plan long term when he was probably tearing up, you know the AAU scene, and you know, um, you know when he wasn't taking that hiatus over the summer um, to to make that change to better to kind of accommodate for circumstances down the line that you can't tangibly see at the moment um, is a huge credit to him. But but yeah, I, I thought it was. And I think that's you know the when you talk about that that AAU hiatus, um, I think that's another point that speaks to both just his. His mom and his dad having the resources there for him. Like even though he wasn't playing AAU with people his age, he was still going to the gym and scrimmaging with with his dad and with his dad's friends and other, you know, other high school age players and you know maybe people that were back home from college or overseas seasons. Um, so he's still getting a lot of work in, but it was mostly just him playing basketball, right, rather than being, you know, dragging himself through these different AAU tournaments every weekend and and kind of exhausting you know, himself. And so uh, once he came back from that, he just kind of realized that he still really enjoyed this and kind of how he had to get to that next point so um yeah i think those are two great anecdotes that speak to just the 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 way that his parents helped him get to this point how they still help him get to you know wherever he's going to get you know throughout his nba career and, and in his life as a whole so uh yeah i really like those anecdotes and i think you know it, it was cool i really like the part especially when when his mom, Tanya said that people like parents came up to him, at, came up to them or her specifically at the end of the AAU season. Um, and we're like, we wish we would have been able to do what you did for Quentin. Um, and, and clearly it worked out. Um, and I think that's, that's something that I, I can't even imagine that like to, to like the, the, just to be able to, to take that step back and listen to your kid, even though he is really good to know, yeah. you know, and to have it work out. So yeah, I really like those anecdotes too. And I'm glad they, they resonated. And I also want to take a second to tell you guys
0: about prize picks. I think um, Saturday night, when the Knicks play the Cavs in game one, I'm going to take uh, Emmanuel quickly over 16 and a half points. I'm going to take Jalen Brunson over five and a half assists. And I'm taking, uh, yeah, that's right. He's going to be back healthy, Julius Randle um over eight and a half rebounds so how does it work all you have to do is pick two to six players and they go score more or less than their prize pick projection you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry and it's there's no competing against other people just you versus the projections available prize picks offer projections on any sport you could watch that includes the nba nfl mlb nhl pga college football men's college basketball women's college basketball disc golf euro basketball cricket and somehow more Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. And they offer safe and fast withdrawal. So, download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, Prize Picks will give you $100. If you deposit $50, Prize Picks will give you $50. So, don't forget to enter promo code locked on and sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. Yeah, and I, I hope, I mean, I hope it's an article that, like, parents of current like middle school and high school (laughs) age kids really, I mean, seriously, because it really, it's like it, it is kind of an epidemic i mean the the number of games that are, are put on younger kids bodies like at this point like and it's just weekend after weekend after weekend week after week after week and, and you hear coaches at the high school level like emphasize the importance of playing multiple sports all the times but like sometimes it's not it's not an au coach making that point so i think this is um i, I guess whatever whatever the reverse of a cautionary tale is this is a success story <laughs> of, of of why you can do that but I, i'm also curious what you've made now of his development at the nba level because last year like came in um like flashed right away as a shooter had i think it was like it was right around christmas had that 27 point game where he sort of announced the world like hey i'm here and like it's like wow the knicks nailed the 25th pick again like everyone had sky high expectations for him to come into the year then you were a little panicky because you keep hearing like foot injury he's supposed to be back in a day he's supposed to be back in two days he's supposed to be back in three days it goes on and on and on (laughs) eventually misses the first 10 or so games of the season and comes back in and to your point when he starts playing when Tibbs shortens the rotation boots Evan fournier that is the turning point in this next season. And, it, and it's so funny to me because the version of the Knicks that uh, at least I'm so excited about now. And I think is a real chance to get out of the first round against an excellent Cleveland team is almost very different than the one that ripped off that. I think it was, a, it was a nine game winning streak, right? Because that was Mitchell Robinson was, was out um, for most of that. It was Jericho Sims. It was Isaiah Hartenstein playing together. It was Deuce McBride getting a ton of minutes off the bench. And it was building around a defensive identity And now by the end of the year, this team has transformed into an offensive juggernaut, one that kind of inexplicably finished with the fourth highest offensive rating in the history of basketball, Tom Thibodeau, who who would have guessed it. Um, (laughs) But I think Grimes is kind of a microcosm of that transformation, not in that his defense has fallen off in any real way, but that is what he was bringing to the table. He was bringing the ability to be closeouts to the table. And then the one thing you you were so sure you could count on is shooting was a little bit dicey, right? It was really good that first month he was back. And then pretty much um, from like the first 10 games of the season till the all-star break, about a 40-game stretch, he was right around 32, 33% from three for about half the season, which like kind of gets you thinking like, all right, the jumper, it still looks beautiful. Like it still looks like it should go in every time. Um, but at times like he got a little reticent, started passing up some shots. And then post all-star break, it's, it's a total transformation, right? 22 games, 45% from three, seven attempts per game. And he's incorporating the driving, and he's incorporating the defense, and it's very similar to what we've seen from Emmanuel quickly this year. And and, and you could speak on this from a, a broader perspective around the league. But what you see with so many young guys, right, where, where it's not linear, it comes in fits and spurts. But then when it all starts clicking, it, it it's it's a beautiful thing.
1: Yeah, I, I think you know last year with Quentin, the defense was there and the floor spacing was there, but he couldn't really attack closeouts. Like he was really timid. It felt like he didn't really know what he wanted to do if he got run off the arc um he couldn't finish for crap really I think he'd or I think he was I no, sorry I think he was an okay finisher he couldn't get to the rim I think is what the numbers yep um would say sorry sometimes I get that mixed up but decent finisher but couldn't really get there so like how much did that you know, how much does that finishing help you but um you know one of the th- you know worked with Penny Hardaway this summer and one of the things that I and I wrote about this in the story I think they've been trained it's some capacity even pre-draft because they have a connection through his agency but you know, when I talked with Penny and when I talked with Quentin about what they worked on, you know, some of the big stuff was attacking closeouts, was improving that finishing and and kind of that, that passing on the move. You know, they walked on they worked on his point and his, his shooting guard uh skills. Um he, he was constantly in motion. I didn't necessarily include the specific quote, but um Penny talked a lot about kind of trying to like emulate the warriors motion heavy offense, like sending him through a lot of that stuff. And you know, it's a lot of quick decision-making. It's a lot of, you know, just, yeah, I think a lot of quick decision-making, a lot of movement. And I think you can see those themes pretty prevalent in the way Quinton approaches offense. Um, and so, like, now I think his rim frequency is up to, like, 30%. The finishing is a little better. Um, the connective passing is still there. I really like kind of what he can do as an interior passer. Um, and when I think kind of around a Julius Randle, Jalen Brunson-led offense and just our led team, um, what the Knicks really need is that point of attack defense. Obviously, quickly is quite good there as well, but point of attack defense on starting lineup, um, and Quinton gives you that. They need quick decision making. It's not a great passing team. I think that's been covered well. Like it's really remarkable how good this offense is, despite not being a super quick decision making, super you know play heavy offense. And Quinton gives you both those. Not in the, you know not in a, a Luka or Jokic sense where he's breaking down defenses, but you you kind of get in the ball and scramble defense. He's going to make the right decision. So. Um, and they need floor space. And obviously you know, Brunson has been a really good shooter. Really, Randall's been pretty good on a really good volume um, to help space things, but um, kind of the blend of both where you're very effective from deep and you get up a high number of threes, you know, when you get shots, I think is really useful. So um, those are the things that stand out to me. is just kind of his growth, you know, attacking closeouts and making stuff happen there. And those are, you know, obviously things that he uh, worked on the, this summer with, with Penny and I'm sure others, I'm sure he worked with other people as well and similar things, but, um, yeah, it's it's cool to be able to kind of see what the numbers say and then also hear, you know, after the fact that, oh, that's what they worked on. Like, it's just a cool a cool thing for, you know, someone who covers yeah. the league and whatnot. All right, guys, that is it for now. But tune
0: in in about, I'm going to say three hours. We're aiming for about one o'clock. Um, and we are going to have a part two out with Jackson where we finish uh, talking about Quentin Grimes's, you could tell I'm, I'm getting choked up just saying this. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Talking about Quentin Grimes's ceiling um, his long-term future on the Knicks and also briefly, uh, briefly previewing, uh, Knicks Cavs and giving you an initial taste to that. And then if you want a deeper dive, well, you're gonna have to tune in tomorrow where we're joined by, uh, Evan Damarell um, and do a whole deep dive, um, on Knicks Cavs, um, the host of Locked on Cavs podcast. So that should be a lot of fun. Um, but until then, uh, I'm Gavin Shaw. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon on Locked on Knicks.